Greetings in the name of Jesus Christ. Welcome to our podcast. This is Pastor Madiba. If you happen to be in our area, you are most welcome to visit us. You'll surely feel at home. We appreciate your prayers for our ministry. We hope today's sermon will be edifying to you, your family, and your friends. Welcome. Peace about 
telling you, you better understand who you are. You're going to come to a perfect realization. That prodigal son was always the son of his father. Amen. When he was in his father's house, he was his son. When he took his inheritance and went and right was living, he was still the son of his father. When he ended up in the pigsty, he was still the son of his father. But the Bible says when he was in the pigsty, he came to himself. It means he was not in his right mind. And you know what he was eating? He was eating husk. You know what is husk? Husk is shuck. He was eating Pentecostal food and he was getting sick. And why must I live like this? In my father's house, they got the seven seals. They got Christ, the mystery of God revealed. They got the token. Why must I live here in the Pentecostal world? He said, I will arise and I'll go back to my father. Amen. takes a long time for a son of God to realize he is a son of God. And when that realization strikes you, you begin to enter into God's rest. You are now living in the half hour of silence. Greetings in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We appreciate the Lord once again for the privilege that he has granted to us for his mercy and grace. Uh, this evening, as indicated, we just want to reflect on the life and the ministry of our dear elder, Brother Steve Francis. Uh, he was loved around the world. His ministry was such a blessing. His discipline towards the message of the hour unparalleled. His insights when it comes to the mysteries of God, it was something that was just a marvel to engage in. He traveled around the world, pastored a church in Newcastle, became a blessing to many conventions, including our own here in Weedbank. So we thought when such a, a spiritual giant has exited the scene, Paul says we should not be ignorant. We will meet again. But this evening we just want to look into his life. But before we do that, I'm just going to do a few remarks. But before we do that, let's just pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we appreciate you for your grace and mercy. We appreciate you for the time that you have granted to us. We pray, dear God, that may this reflection be a blessing to your children as we commit everything to you. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, as I said, it's just going to be a reflection on the life of Pastor Steve Francis. But before we do that, let's read the scripture. In the book of 1 Timothy, the 5th chapter, the 17th verse, it reads in this manner, Let the elders that rule well 
be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the weight and doctrine. So Paul here wrote to Timothy and said, let the elders that labor among you be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the weight and doctrine. And that is why today we want to pay our tribute, our respect to this gallant soldier of the cross. He was a, a pastor, but above that he was our elder. He's somebody that from time to time would tap into his experience. It's somebody from time to time would get a, a spiritual nudge when it comes to the matters of God. Now, Paul speaks here, or maybe before I go and speak about a few things that Brother Bram speaks about, here is something that I just want to take you down the memory lane of where Brother Steve preached a masterpiece. It's an extract from one of his sermons. Just half the word. 
even if he's dead, it's okay. But the true mother began to cry. She said, please, don't do that. That's my baby. He said, don't kill the child. Give it to her, please. Let her have it. Amen. Why? Because the true bride does not want half revivals. She does not want half word. She wants the whole word or nothing. So in this half hour silence, in the rest of Almighty God, God brought seven thunders to the bride, which is the bride's revival. This is how Brother Steve would deliver the weight, golden nugget after golden nugget. What I loved about his ministry, it's somebody that when he was ministering, you'd sit there and relax and just absorb without being jittery. You know, we live during a time where when men preach, you become, you, you sit on the edge of your chair and wonder what are they going to throw next. But that was not the case with Brother Steve Francis. Brother Steve Francis stayed purely with the message of the hour from the beginning right until the end. And that is why we want to pay tribute to this elder. We call him our elder. He was not just a pastor in Newcastle. He was the elder within the message community. We have tapped into his experience. We experience, we have tapped into his ministry. And some of us today, we are balanced because of elders such as Brother Steve Francis. And as a country, particularly as South Africa, we are, we are glad that our country produced such an elder that stayed in the ministry for over 41 years. What a, what a gallant soldier with a man of reputation. No scandal, no undertones in his ministry. Sober from the beginning right until the end. Stayed with what Malachi 4 preached. And hence, we want to pay tribute to him and have paying our respect to the Francis family for having given us this giant that went on to become a blessing to thousands and thousands of people across the globe. And we know sharing such a man with the world or with the bride is never easy. There were times where he should have been home, but he was on the road. There should have been time when he was in your assembly, but he was on the road. Hence, we as well want to appreciate you for your sacrifice by granting us this soldier. And may God richly bless you. Now, Brother Brenham, when he speaks about an elder, because Paul wrote to Timothy that we have to really pay the elders a double honor, especially those that labor in the weight and in doctrine. Now, Brother Brenham, when he speaks about an elder in the message, the Church Age book, he says, elder always has and always will refer simply to a man's chronological age in the Lord, not just in biology, but in the Lord. He is an elder, not because he is elected or ordained, etc., but he is because he is older. 
He is more seasoned, trained, and not a novice. Reliable because of experience and long-standing proof of his Christian experience. Now, Paul is telling us that these are, these, are, these are the traits. Now, we know in the Old Testament there used to be the elders of the city. And when we moved into the New Testament, we've got elders in the church. A pastor is the, the elder in the local assembly. Deacons are elders. Trustees are elders. And Paul was an elder to Timothy. Now, Brother Steve was one of our elders. Now, Brother Brim says he is an elder not because he is an elder not because he's ordained or elected. He is an elder because of these traits. Seasoned, trained, not novice, reliable, experienced, long-standing Christian experience. And I think you would agree with me that when you look at this template of eldership, in no way did Brother Steve Francis lack in any way. Was he seasoned? Oh, yes. Was he trained in the weight? Absolutely. Was he not novice? He was not a novice. He was a veteran. Was he reliable and dependable? Oh, yes. Was he experienced? I mean, you speak about over 41 years of ministry. Yes, he was. Long-standing Christian experience, definitely. So we are not ashamed to speak of him in this manner. And many others will speak about him during, uh, as days go by because he was somebody that was embraced by the entire message community because of his sobriety when it comes to the weight. I say he was a veteran. A veteran is a person who has served in the armed forces, according to the dictionary. He's an old soldier who has seen long service. A person who is, in, is long experienced or practicing an activity or capacity. So, Brother Steve Francis was part of God's armed forces. Brother Steve Francis was an old soldier who has been in the service for longer started preaching when most of us were not yet born. He was a, a long, experienced individual and practiced what he preached over many years that we have known him. That's why we can pay tribute to this gallant soldier. Now, the nature of the battle, when we say you're a veteran, it means you fought many battles. And a battle is not a picnic in a battle, a battle is characterized by wounds. A battle is characterized by scars. A battle is characterized by blood. It becomes bloody. There is no such a thing as a beautiful uh, battle. And actually, when you go and check, there is what we call just an ordinary battle and there is what we call a guerrilla warfare. In an ordinary battle, is where the enemies agree that we will not touch the civilians, we will not touch the strategic assets of the nation, but in a guerrilla war, anything goes. So 
This greatest battle that we ever fought is a guerrilla warfare. The devil attacks young ones. The devil attacks families. The devil attacks anything. And as a result, in our response, we attack everything of Satan because it is a guerrilla war. But uh, true to form, every battle is characterized by wounds. And I wonder, over the number of years that Brother Steve had been in the ministry, how many times must he have felt discouraged? How many times he must have felt, uh, let me quit? Somebody said, if you have done, if you have never done anything that you ever thought of quitting, that means you have never done anything worthwhile. When you do something worthwhile, you are going to come up with waves of opposition, waves of criticism. You are going to come up with across obstacles, across uphills. But uh, I believe Brother Steve must have gone through those experiences. And that is why Brother Branham, when he speaks about a soldier, in the message, as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. Paragraph 31. He says, for any good soldier is apt to get wounded or hurt. But if he is still a soldier and got a purpose and something to fight for, he will rise and try again. And any good soldier of the cross will do the same. That is why I say, Brother Steve, there has been, I believe there must have been moments where he went through this wave of criticism, this wave of discouragement, but he rose again and again because it is apt for a soldier to get wounded or ahead. But if he is still a soldier and has got some purpose and something to fight for, he will rise and try again. And any good soldier of the cross will do the same thing. So we are standing here on the shoulders on the shoulders of the giants, such as Brother Steve Francis. And it tells me that if such gallant men of God never gave up, we as well will draw an inspiration from their life and we will never give up. So we want to pay tribute to this soldier. Now, I had a one-on-one -on -one session with Brother Steve Francis a while back. And these are some of the things that I want us to go through in reflecting or going down the memory lane and listening, listening to him speaking in his own ways of his ministry, of his family, and his experiences, his insights when it comes to the ministry. When we did this, we, we thought it was just a lockdown. We had nowhere else to go. So it's best that we engage the elders and speak to them one-on-one -on -one and we didn't know how it will pan out. But today, you go into the archives. You look at such rich content, rich insights that they have left uh, behind for us. And we appreciate that. And in no way, as we pay tribute and respect to this gallant soldier, there are many others that are still holding on. And we want to salute them wherever they are. Now, Brother Steve spoke about how he came into the message of the hour. Let's listen to what he said, how he came into the message of the hour. Well, I must say that uh, 
When I accepted Christ in Durban, I was told by the ministers, the elder ministers, and they said something like, "Watch the Branhamites." Mm. So I didn't know I didn't know who Branhamites were, and I, I began to ask, "What is Branhamites?" And they just said, "Jesus only." So I it never occurred to me, and I didn't study anything. I didn't even know who they were. And then I was friends with Pastor Jonathan Rubin, who is a pastor in in Johannesburg, and we were friends from 1974 when we were still in the Pentecostal Church. And I moved to Newcastle in 1975, and then I think it was around about 1976 that he accepted the message. But he didn't say too much, and uh, like in those days, we just visited without calling anybody. We just knock at some door, and we are there. So, Brother Jonathan always did that on his way to Johannesburg. He would just drop by at my place, sleep overnight, and then he left a few message books in my home. I never read it because I saw William Branham. Okay, this is not good. But fortunately, I didn't throw them away or destroy them. I just left it in my in my home without even looking at it. And then in 1979, Pastor Nami Naidu, who is actually about five years younger than I am, he came to Newcastle to work in the post office. He was a relief worker. And there were two brothers in our church in the Assemblies of God. That met Brother Nemi, and they came and told me that they met this young man. He's a, he's got an amazing insight into the Bible, and uh, I need to hear him. So I got kind of excited. So I went to the post office and uh, introduced myself, and then I asked him the obvious questions that we ask: Which church are you from, and which denomination? And then the kind of answers that he gave me, I thought, no, there's something wrong. So I left and I went and I told these two brothers that uh, this brother's got a false doctrine; they must stay away from him. Mm. But they wouldn't do that; they wouldn't stay away. And then eventually, I decided, okay, let me pick up these books that Brother Jonathan Rubin left here, and mm. I'll study it with my Bible and I'll show them the mistakes that William Branham uh, made and that he is indeed false. Mm. And mm. the first message I picked up was uh, was called the Inner Veil, which mm. is now called mm. Why Are People So Tossed About. Mm. And when I read that message, I just wept. You know, I just cried. I said, "But how can they call this man false? Mm. I've never heard anything mm. like this in my life." You know. Mm. And then uh, then I picked up another message, Statue of a Perfect Man, and that just blew my mind away. Mm. And then I looked on the back of the book, and it was Brother Willie Retief's uh, church address in Birchley, mm. Emmanuel Gospel Center. And I wrote an urgent letter, and I said, "Can you please send me some books urgently?" And I said, "Especially the Seven Seals." Mm. Mm. And then I'm not exaggerating, but within a week, I had my books here. Maybe a little more mm. than a week, I had a box of books. And I started devouring those books. I started reading, and I was working at that time and pastoring the church part time, the Assemblies of God. And I just took the books to work, and I would read till late hours in the night, and get up early in the morning, go to work. Sometimes just get about two or three hours sleep, 
and during lunch breaks I'm reading and I began to see and by then I had left the assemblies of God This is how brother Steve Francis came into the mini, into the message of the hour uh, I remember he mentioned that prior to coming into the message Firstly, he comes from the Hindu background where his mother was a spiritualist. He saw a miracle being performed under the Hindu religion where men walked out of a wheelchair. Now, the reason I'm saying that, it shows you that miracles, the devil can perform miracles. The only thing that the devil can never do is to uh, become the weight. He can impersonate and pervert anything. And later on, he went on to become a pastor in the assemblies of God. And later, Brother Nami Naidu went to introduce the message to Brother Steve Francis. And Brother Nami is still around. He's five years younger than Brother Steve Francis. So this is how he came into the message. Now, the next question that I asked him was, how did he now enter the ministry, and this is what he is going to answer in this segment. Uh, actually, uh, I entered into the ministry in September 1973 when I was in Durban. I started preaching, and then in January 75, I moved to Newcastle hmm. and I worked together with a very uh, humble man from Peter Maritzburg, Pastor Jack Naidu, mm. uh, and we kind of worked together and I was his uh, assistant in the beginning, but then he had left the same year and uh, from 75 I pastored the church until I accepted the message in 1979. Now, that is how he entered the ministry. Now, another question that I asked him, I think this time when we did this interview, if I'm not mistaken, he had been married for 49 years. And I think if I count correctly, then this year should have been uh, the 50th year, which is their uh, jubilee. And I asked him what was his advice as far as marriage is concerned, and especially to the young ones in the message. And this was his answer. Well, like I preach, um, you know, in marriages, the important thing is the marriage of, uh, the natural marriage is actually a type of the spiritual marriage of Christ and the church. <laughs> and this is just my opinion. My opinion is that you can actually see a man's walk with God or his commitment to God in the way that he is around his wife, how much he loves his wife. Because that's what he tells you because G, uh, Paul said, he said that husbands love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself. So I tell them before I get them married, I said, if you can't love your wife like this, forget about this wedding. Don't get married. Now, I, I like what he says there. Um, 
you can actually tell a man's walk with God or his commitment to God by how he treats his own wife. This was quite profound because most of the time ministers become, they deliver these golden nuggets, but when you go to their houses, it is different. What they project in the public space is different from what is projected in a private space. But you heard what Brother Steve Francis says. He says you can tell a lot about a man, how he treats his own wife. Now, I asked him how he approached the ministry, and the reason I asked him this is because Many years back, I was in a convention where he was preaching, and he was not against the computer, was not against the tablet, uh, the software, the table. What he mentioned then is that sometimes a software makes ministers to be lazy. He was of the view that it has to be approached in the old way, where you read a book from cover to cover. You don't just wait Saturday night and go into the computer and punch keywords and print out and come and preach. This is not how Brother Steve Francis approached the ministry, but this is how he will tell you how he approached a ministry. I think it's, uh, it's up to the people on how they run their lives, you know. And for me personally, I have... Uh, I've decided, well, not decided, but I've committed my life as a full-time minister to be full-time because uh, sometimes I'm tired during the day and my wife said, why don't you take a nap? I said, no, I don't want to sleep during the day. I said, I don't want people coming to the house and they're looking for me and they say, this man is full-time and he's sleeping, you know. <laughs> so I make sure that I do, <laughs> I do like a day's work, you know, like a man would go out to work I'm in my study like eight, nine, ten hours a day, you know, just studying the word, studying and just praying and asking God to open up his word to me. And I got used to that, you know, so I just felt that if I get technology, like uh, getting a computer or something like that and, and studying on the computer, which I don't have a problem other people doing it, but just for myself, you know, I just think it will cut out on the quality time that I'm spending with, with God, you know, because uh, the computer makes things so easy is that you will be able to say, well, you know, uh, let me just go and do something else. And when I have some time, I'll just come and put a few things on the computer and find a couple of quotes and I'll be okay. So I like to spend my quality time uh, with the Lord, you know, in my study and just alone, I'm in my study. I've got a study at the church. So I'm there from the morning until four o'clock in the afternoon. There you heard, you heard him. And I think this is quite profound, especially for young ministers. The way false doctrines came about is because you take one quotation and run with it. You don't even understand the context, what was said before, what was said after. You take one liner and want to build a doctrine around that. That is just a poor, uh, it's a demonstration of spiritual laziness and it reflects a poor discipline 
but Brother Steve Francis was not for that. So, hence, reading the message from cover to cover, it is still very critical rather than resorting to a computer for a punch with. Actually, the software is good if you forgot a certain statement that Brother Brandon once made. You can quickly go and punch to call up that statement, but it is not the way to approach uh, reading the message of the hour. The message of the hour has to be read from cover to cover. And this is what exactly what he has done. He was full-time in the ministry, but he didn't spend his time sleeping. He said every morning he was at the study. He went to the library or to his study room uh, office in the church and read from the morning until the afternoon like every day. He didn't sleep the whole day. So it shows, and this is where uh, we have seen young men wanting to go into full-time ministry because they want to sleep the whole day. It doesn't work like that. Here's an elder that tells you the approach that he used, it was indeed a full-time ministry. It was quite uh, an awakening moment for many of us. Hence, we appreciate that. Now, I asked him because you'd realize that the number of years in the message the way there's been many, many doctrines, many isms, many movements. And I wanted to ask him to tap into what made him, after so many years, not to, be, not to go to the right, not to go to the left, but to stay in the middle of the road. And this is something that he said, but before I get to the, when I spoke to him, I realized that when you are a minister, remember the tabernacle was divided into three courts. There is an outer court, there is a second court, and there is a third court. A lot of times when you read the message, remember, it was the same manna that reigned, but the manna in the third court was kept fresh all the time. So it never went stale. But the manna outside, the same manna, but when it was dished out outside, it went stale. Now, the same thing. Some ministers read the message for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 30 years. Later, they get bored and they inject their own things into the message of the hour. It just tells you that they were consuming the right product, but at the wrong locality, that's why they get bored. But when you consume the message of the hour, when you are in the third court, it becomes fresher. And many of you would know what I talk about. You read Crisis, the mystery of God revealed this year, you, you get the golden nuggets. You read it next year, you get golden nuggets. You read it 10 years down the line, you get golden nuggets. You read it 20 years down the line, you get golden Until you have marked the entire book. The beauty about it when you do that, it shows that you are reading the message in the right locality. The reason today... People no longer listen to the tapes, they get bored, they get sleepy, they don't read the spoken word. People were consuming the message, but in the outer court, where sometimes it became cloudy, some consumed it in the second court, where the candle sticks ran out. But when you go into the third court and that curtain drops behind you, this message becomes like fresh manna on daily basis. It is actually fresh manna. It's not like it is actually fresh manna on daily basis. And to the likes of Brother Steve Francis, it was the case. Let's listen to what made him to be balanced 
in the wait. When I noticed that there were divisions and people were believing different things in the message, I decided that I want to study this message on my own. And I want God to show me what is in this message. And like I tell our people, there's just two things I pray for every single day for myself. I ask God every day, I just want to be a Christian for today. Just help me the way I speak and whatever. And then the second thing I ask him for is for me to uh, ask him to reveal his word to me because I want to feed his people. So that has been the pattern of my life because I just wanted to want the truth. So if somebody was saying this in the message and somebody was saying that in the message, I never discounted it. I would study it and see if what they're saying is true. And I remember with our church, I decided on my own that I'm not going to go anywhere in the formative years. And I don't want other people coming here because I wanted to study this message and I wanted to teach it to our people. And what I did was um, when Voice of God started sending us books, before distributing it to our people, I would study a message book myself. Let's say the Phoenix series that Brother Brandon preached. And I would take, let's say, uh, Perseverance. I would study it and I would highlight it and, you know, just underline important things there. Then I would listen to the tape and follow the book again. And then I would get more things out of it. And then on the Wednesday night, I would give every person in the church a book and I play the tape to them and I wanted them to follow the tape with the book. Mm. And they do that. And then the following Wednesday, I tell them, bring your books back. And then I would take the book and I would highlight that message to them and show them the important, what Brother Branham was saying and why he was saying those things. So I got them to well, listen to the messages regularly which was, and I made them follow it up. And so I think we did a few hundred messages like that, you know, make sure that the church was getting what Brother Branham was saying. Now, what you hear there is that a genuine, a genuine elder of this message will ignite people's confidence in the authentic weight. Now, I like it, and especially this one, it goes for Russ's young ones coming after the likes of Brother Steve Francis. He says in the formative years of his ministry or the existence of his church, he never traveled. He was there. He would listen to the tape. He would have a book. He would make the church to read the book, to listen to the tape, and this is how he built the foundation. And be, truth be told, for since he has been a pastor for a number of years, in Newcastle, we still only have one message church. It's a small town, but you don't have many groups there. You still have one message church. And Brother Steve treated everybody whether they agreed or disagreed, he treated them with respect. 
And that is why we want to salute this gallant soldier. But you have listened to him of what kept him balanced when it comes to the weight. Then I went on to ask him what his advice was to the young ones. Remember, and to the young ones, remember, zeal without experience will lead to disaster. I'll repeat. Zeal without experience will lead to disaster. But let's hear what the men of God's advice was to the young ministers. Well, uh, you know, there's um, real fine young ministers and I think and I believe like the older ministers need to really encourage the younger ministers because we were young ministers as well. You know, when we started 40, 41 years ago, I was just 30 years old in the message. I was just 30 years old when I was already passing the assemblies of God. I was 25 or 26 years old. So we were still, we were also young ministers. And Brother Branham actually says, I think in birth pains, he said, the young ministers will arise and take this message and make more sense to it. You know? So I believe that the elder ministers should be encouraging younger ministers and not uh, sort of uh, push them down and say, who is this? And he's just a youngster and so on. I think I believe that we should actually be encouraging the young ministers. And I've seen some real fine young ministers like yourself, Brother Tinashe, Brother Brian Naidu, uh, you know, Brother Alistair, Brother Denzel, and there's a young brother, Adrian, who's not a pastor, but I heard good reports that he really ministers well. Brother Rodney, the real fine young ministers, you know, you know, brother, there's, there's several others. And Brother Beckett, I think, does a tremendous job in that he encourages young ministers even in his church and he sends them out and so on. And I think it's a very good thing. But most importantly, I think we need above anything else to let them know what the ministry is all about. And they must understand that the ministry is not a career. It's not like you're studying to be a doctor or a lawyer or a teacher or something. It's not a career. Because in the ministry, you need to learn to be able to go through hardships. Says the ministry is not a career. It's not like becoming a doctor or teacher. The ministry is characterized by hardships. And I believe that he knew what he was speaking about. What I liked when he spoke about this advice to young ministers and for him to pay tribute to Brother Beckett, uh, I think these are some of the things that are quite a rarity in the message of the hour where you find one elder having a mutual respect for another elder. And for him to throw and raise the name of what Brother Beckett is doing as far as providing the support to young ministers. It shows you that this man was not about competition. This man was about 
collaboration. This man was not about performance, but is about he was about complimenting other ministers. And the young ministers that he has mentioned, even those that he has not mentioned, I think you've got a tall order on you never to be uh, overtaken by fanaticism. Brother Steve Francis never became a victim of fanaticism. Number of years that he was around, he stayed in his post of duty. Now, let me say something that he said, that he shared with me. Newcastle is a very small town. Most of the people would go, uh, go to school, graduate, and leave Newcastle for Johannesburg or for other uh, areas. It's a very small town. Now, so a lot of time, most of the people would not be, would be raised, but never resides in Newcastle. At some point in time, they left Newcastle. And he told me that somebody once suggested to him that, why don't you start a church in Jobek? Look, if Brother Steve could have started a church in Jobek, it would have been a success. No doubt about it. But he said, As I realized that I can only flourish where God planted me in. Listen to the statement. I can only flourish where God planted me in. The people that left Newcastle and went to Jobek, Brother Steve never went there and created a small church for them so that he can absorb them. No, he referred them to other pastors to fellowship with. So it tells you his ministry was not about popularity. His ministry was not about money. It was a ministry that was driven by principle. Hence, we are not ashamed to pay a tribute to this garden soldier. Then I asked him another question because I realized that most of the time we have too much preaching that is devoid of a private prayer life. We have too much preaching that is devoid of a private prayer life. And I asked him how important it is for a minister, not only for a minister only, but for everyone to constantly have family prayers in their house. And he said something very striking of what the family prayer produced in his house. His sons are ministers, and it's, not, it's just something that happened but it had to do with upbringing, how they were raised to be sincere when it comes to the matters of God. Now, here is his answer in terms of the effect and the impact that a family prayer could have on the pastor's family. Well, I think uh, if people had to look at my family, uh, my children because I had family altar from the time we started out in the message my children were still young and uh, at 10 past 7 every morning my son Alistair he's a pastor in Durban he's got a amazingly fantastic memory and he remembers things that I've even forgotten you know so yeah. So at 10 past 7 in the morning, yeah. we used to get together after they've 
washed and got ready to go to school. And from 10 past seven to 7.30, we would have a family altar and uh, we sing. And then I read some scripture, pray with them and send them off to school. And then in the evenings, except on the nights that we were preaching, I'd have a family altar again with my children, but I would teach them uh, the doctrines of the message. I had a blackboard and I used to teach them the Godhead, Serpent Seed, the Logos and all of those things, you know. And then uh, I never realized that my boys are going to become ministers. You know? And that was not the reason why I was teaching them these things. Because uh, I never thought one day they would become ministers. By the grace of God, because we had these family altars, they lived a clean life. And I didn't have problems with them where, they, where I had to discipline them. I mean, they had little issues and things that we had to sort out, but there was nothing that was very major that I had to talk to them about or anything. He had family prayer twice a day. In the morning before the kids departed for school, in the evening when they returned, or before they retired to their beds. Twice a day. And shockingly, this was a, this was a pastor. We had a time for the children because most of the time, pastors get up so much absorbed in the ministry and in the process they lose their families. But uh, Look at, look at the bold statement. If people were to look at my family, he's inviting you to look at his family. And he says, the results that you see, my children being ministers, one being a pastor, is because of family prayer. And then hear him what he says. He would have a, a blackboard where he comes and teaches them good hate, teaches them Goodness, <laughs> the logos from the family prayer. And I saw this because several years back, I think I was in Zimbabwe with his son, Brother Aliesta, and he, he was teaching young people about the book of Revelation. I remember posting that. I told him that I see so much of your father in you. So it is because of the a deliberate effort that the father had in terms of shaping and molding his children to turn out to be who they are today with the understanding of greater uh, uh, things of God. This, it was a ministry in the home that was exported out to the church. Maybe before I move to something else, during a lockdown last year, he was preaching every day. And how it came about is that he, as he, his family prayer is where he's preaching to the family and people heard of it, the church, and said, do you mind to record? And he would record what he was preaching to the family. An hour a day, a message that he was preaching to his family. And they would record it and disseminate that message to the members of his church. But such discipline... I mean, it was over 70 years, but to preach, not to an audience out there, to your family daily for an hour. What a man. What a ministry. Now, I asked him how 
he would want to be remembered. When I asked this question, I did not anticipate that he would be gone. It was something that we asked just for the purposes of keeping it into our archives. I remember because uh, uh, he... He was shy to a certain extent because I asked him, how would you want to be remembered? He said, I'm not sure whether I would want to be remembered. But I said, definitely, we will remember you. I remember saying exactly this words to him. I said, we had three men in our time. It was Oral Roberts, it was Billy Graham, and it was William Brenham. You go and check, Billy Graham has got his own students today. Uh, Oral Roberts has got his own students today. The likes of Miles Monroe comes from the Oral University. Then I told him, I said, look, even the message of the hour, we've got students of Malachi 4, the likes of Brother Ed Biscal, the likes, there are many, many of them that I mentioned. I said, you're one of the, among the best students of Malachi 4. Then he says, no, there are so many other ministers that are better than I am. But I was just painting a picture to him of what he represents in our world as far as we young people are concerned. So this was his answer when I asked him how he would want to be remembered. I think above all things, people should look at your life you know, and look at what kind of impact you have made on them. And then you don't purposely want to make an impact. It's not like I'm doing this so that I want to have an impact on the people. You know. It's just that you, you just be what you are. That's the most important thing is to be exactly what you are. So if you are what you are and you are just doing what you are doing and then you just expressing yourself the way that God wants you to express yourself. And I think that's the thing that people remember all the time because there's too much of hypocrisy, you know, because you say one thing and do something else. You preach one thing and do something else, you know. So I think it's very important that you absolutely be yourself. Like even to the young ministers, don't try to be like somebody else. Don't try to preach like somebody else because if God has given you a gift, that gift is very unique. You know, there can only be one of you. We don't want another Steve Francis. He requested not to be impersonated. He says when God grants you a gift, it becomes a unique gift. And he says we don't want another Steve Francis. We had one Steve Francis and he is irreplaceable. He remains unique. He will always remain unique. And then I asked him, what was his parting shot? What was his heartfelt message to the message community? And this is what he had to say. Right now, in a very wonderful time, I know it is lockdown and people look at it very negatively, but I believe this is a wonderful time. And I think that God has actually allowed us this time to have an introspection into our lives. And I can honestly tell you, I'm telling you this 
from deep down in my heart. I have never yeah. in all of my 41 years felt as close to God as I do now through this lockdown. And it's not just I saying that I've had people from our church saying so also that the fact that they're listening to the word every day and they felt so much closer, they're understanding the word better. So I believe right now we should put ourselves out of the way and just get ourselves into the word and let God lead you and guide you and prepare yourself. Because Brother Brennan said categorically, the purpose of this message is to get a bride or get a people ready and prepared for the rapture. So this is not a time of storytelling. This is a time where you got to preach rapturing faith to the people, get them ready for the going away. It says, in the 41 years that he had been saving God, he had never felt so close to God like he had felt in, during the lockdown, which was last year. Folks, this is profound. I have never felt so close to God than I am feeling now. This was Brother Steve Francis. So, goodness, towards the end, he walked closer to God. Towards the end, he had such an intimate relationship with God. And his parting uh, message to us, he says, let us preach the messages that are meant to produce the rapturing faith. He says, this is not the time for stories. This is not a time for jokes. This is not a time for fairy tales. He says, preach the message that can produce the rapturing faith in the people. This was the parting shot from Brother Steve Francis. As we come to the end of these reflections on his life, the question would be, he's gone, he has lived a life, he has left an impeccable legacy. He kept it right in the middle of the road, kept the purity of the message. A man whose reputation was not marred in any way, consistent from the beginning until the end in his private life in his public life, in his ministry, in his family. This was Brother Steve Francis, loved around the world. And there is something interesting that he mentioned. There was a time where somebody requested his tapes, and this minister from overseas wanted them to exchange tapes. And Brother Steve said to him, the only tapes that I can exchange with you are the tapes of Malachi 4. He believed that the tapes were still central in the end time. He encouraged people that he came in contact with to listen to more of tapes than to listen to him. Despite such a distinct, solid ministry backed up by a solid track record, 
That's why to Sister Jennifer and the kid children and to the church in Newcastle, we appreciate you. We appreciate you f- for you for having shared this gallant soldier with us. Whenever we picked up a call and wanted him to preach for us, he was always available. Whenever we wanted to call him for advices, he was always available. When we saw strange things emerging in the message of the hour, he was one of the people that we were at liberty to phone and say, what do you make of this? And he would always say, check it with the message, check it with the scriptures. If it is not in the message, if it is not in the scriptures, stay away from it. He was such a gallant soldier as we pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we appreciate you for your grace and mercy. We appreciate you, dear God, for the life of Brother Steve Francis. We pray for his dear wife, Sister Jennifer. We pray for the family, strengthen them. We pray for the church, strengthen them. May they be led by the Holy Ghost. In all the preparations that will be undertaken, may the Lord be, may you be the one that will lead all the proceedings. As we commit everything to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you richly. It has been a pleasure reflecting on the life of Brother Steve Francis. He is reunited with great men and women of God on the other side. I believe that what is taking place on the other side, they are quite having a jubilee. This message will make you arrive into the sixth dimension. This message will make you rapture. This message will resurrect you from the grave. It is still the best thing that God has ever given to the human race in both the 20th and the 21st century. And the message is not a software, doesn't deserve to be improved or updated. Leave it as it is. It will produce the intended result. God bless you richly. Shalom.
Yeah. 